Well, good morning on this uh, Palm Sunday, this Sunday before Easter. And for those who are watching online, we uh, welcome you. For those who are here in the auditorium, we're great to have you be a part of the uh, worship assembly today. Uh, maybe you heard about the guy who was standing in a pit about 10 feet deep with uh, dirt walls towering over him and someone peeked down into the pit and asked him, what are you doing down there? And he was quiet for a moment and then he said, well, my metal detector gave me a signal to dig. And so I did. And finally I realized it was detecting my steel-toed shoes. You see, sometimes we make our own pit, and we just climb in, or we find ourselves in the pit. Maybe we dig ourselves in real deep. Sometimes, maybe someone else, maybe it's nature, or we say evil, or fate, we just fall in and we find ourselves in the pit. Sometimes, yeah, we're pushed in, almost if we're bulldozed in. Do you ever feel like this in your life? You expend a lot of energy, but the results are not so great. And the setbacks, they seem everywhere, and they seem serious. You're in a pit for nothing, worse than nothing. In other words, there no, seem to be no results. There doesn't even seem to be a way out. So to all of those who are suffering in some way this morning can identify with being in the pit, I want to offer this particular verse, a signature verse of the Apostle Paul, a signature verse from the book of Romans, from, from uh, Romans chapter 8, certainly from the entire Bible, one that you're familiar with. And yet I want to take us back to this verse and meditate on it just for a few moments. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 in the NIV says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Boy, I just want to slow down for just a moment. Maybe see if we can uh, even move beyond the familiarity in one sense of this beloved passage to allow it to speak deeply to our hearts this morning. You see, some scripture is uh, nourishment for the moment or for the day. Some scripture for, for the week or for the month. And some passages for a lifetime. This is one of those. You see, the passage doesn't say that all things are good, and the Bible certainly isn't this naive, even though it seems though there are churches everywhere with preachers everywhere that seem to uh, preach this kind of gospel, that if Christians will only follow the ways of God, that all things are going are to be good, that are, uh, they're going to be all good things. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is not naive to reality, and we don't want to be either, and I doubt whether you are this morning. There is real-world stuff. And so there's no sugarcoating. 
There are things that are ugly, and I mean really ugly. There's violence, and we see that even in the past couple of weeks with the, with the mass murderers in this country. And there's hatred, and there's pain, and there is racism, and there is death, and there is sin. And maybe you find yourself suffocating in the anguish of a ten-foot pit. And I don't know about you, but here's my temptation, and that is that I find myself angry. I find at times myself bitter or, or cynical or maybe even worse than all of those, in despair. You see, we desperately pretend that all things are good as if there is no other way for believers to act than to portray it is all good. And church, as I look around this morning, there is such a temptation for us to do that with one another. To act as if all things are good, that it's all okay. And when that happens, we are unable to mourn, to hurt, to lament. Even when we're in the pit, we can't seem to do these things at times. And sometimes our religion, our faith, our background, the way we assemble, all of this is just too happy-clappy. Our happy-clappy religion is all that we've got until the pain sometimes is so severe that we give up on church because we're just not finding what we need there. Or we give up on our faith because our faith is, is formed in such a way that it doesn't allow us to, to really handle those deep pits. Or we give up on God altogether. Now, let's say you this morning fully know that not all things are good and you're well aware of that, and you know what it's like to be in the pit, and you have experienced your fair share of the aches and pains and troubles and grief, and just like this passage teaches, as all creation groans, you too groan, then I'm asking this question. What can this passage teach us? And I believe there's plenty. In fact, I can't unpack it all. I'm just going to give us a couple of nuggets this morning. And I think with some meditation, you're going to find even a deeper richness about this passage, particularly as in how it fits in all of Romans 8 and how it fits in the book of Romans. But we'll, we'll, we're simply going to focus on this a couple of verses this morning. And perhaps the greatest comfort in Romans 8 and 28 are in these first three words. And... We know. You see, what you know will change the trajectory of your life. And some, uh, some scholars suggest that, that, as Paul says, and we know that this was a teaching, Romans 8.28, that Paul himself had received, that the community of faith knew this. Maybe it was a confession that they would make as they assembled on a Sunday morning. 
But the text doesn't say not something that you're going to hope for, not that you have wishful thinking about. The passage doesn't say something we're going to guess or we think or if God wills or if all the circumstances align. No, it says, and we know. So what can we know? I want to put it this way. We can know. You can be certain that God will use everything in your life for good. Now, can we really know that? If there's any place where Satan plants doubt, I bet it's here. As long as we are breathing in this world, we're going to struggle to reconcile this promise, this pledge by God, with with his sovereignty and his goodness on one hand, and what we feel and experience with human suffering and despair on the other. And how do we bring these together? So can we know it? Not just human suffering, but our suffering and our pain, our pit, your pit. And so our temptation again and again when we run into this kind of, this kind of pain is to say, why? Why me? Why now? And when we ask why, why God? It puts in doubt the fact that we could say, and we know. This may be the point of intersection of life's most perplexing riddle. And Romans 8.28 assures us that God is always at work for our good and for his glory. You see, the passage goes on, and all things God works for the good. And this has to be top-ranked, one of the most outrageous claims in all of history. Does God really work all things for good? And then again, how do we know? And how can we be so sure? And what is our evidence? Can we see it? Can we always point to the evidence? Or is this just wishful thinking? You don't think that Job had his doubts about God when he faced his suffering and asked these same questions? Or Joseph, who found himself in a literal pit and then in the pit for years and years in the pit of prison? Or Jesus himself in Psalm 22, in that the psalm that he quotes from the cross, fitting for this Easter week when he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Doubting God's goodness and promises put us in good company. And so I ask, is Paul setting out a ridiculous dream or is this a promise we can trust? Now think about the realities of your own life before you answer. To have a miscarriage. To be born with a disability. To face racial indignities. To have a brain that keeps you struggling with depression and anxiety or psychosis, to find yourself addicted to alcohol or drugs or pornography, 
to have your spouse walk out on you, to be heartbroken by your children, to lose your spouse to cancer, to have your child die before you do. Yet the verse says, and we know. So let me ask, can you really believe this verse, or is this a platitude only? And I'm asking this morning, not telling. Cancer isn't good, but God can use it for good. Racism is horrible. Can God use it? Death isn't good, but God. And so the passage says, and we know. It is good that God is at work. God works for the good. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't at this point remind us that the passage doesn't say that all things work for good for everyone. This working together for good is conditional. And the condition is for those who love the Lord. Don't quote that all things work together for good without quoting for those who love him. You see, loving God is necessary for this promise to be put into full effect. This might take some thinking about this week. Why do I say this? Well, doesn't God love everyone? Yes. And God, uh, but God cannot promise the same outcomes when we are not loving him. That is, cooperating with him, working with him. Dave Weiler in our uh, connect group, in our small group this uh, past week, wisely said it this way. Our sufferings are our greatest teachable moments. They provide an opportunity. And so in those moments when we are loving God, it opens the door for growth. Just like in a marriage, we work it out. God, a couple will work it out in a marriage and we work it out with God. We work it together, it's a joint process and we see in the passage that God is working, but we too are working allowing him to work. Maybe we would say in this joint process, it's like a, a, a father and a child or a mom and a child. There is a dialogue. There is a conversation. There is working toward understanding, even when it's difficult for the child to understand the circumstances or what has happened. The parent reassures that, that, the, that we can work this out for good. And God is doing the same with us. Now the passage says that God allows all things so that God can work for the good of all things. And he says there are a couple of reasons, and we can see this again in our text, to bring us into a relationship with our Creator, first of all. Isn't that the starting point? And then to make us into his likeness. Notice how our text specifically states this outcome. It is the outcome of suffering. For those God foreknew, this is verse 29, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
We have all things work together for good in 28 and now in 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, to be made in the likeness of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many, many brothers and sisters. That's us. Now, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, an inspirational speaker, is a uh, quadriplegic. And many of you know her story because she's been, she's been talking about it for many, many years. She was paralyzed in a diving accident when she was a teenager. And she has been confined to a wheelchair now for 40-some years. And when people ask her why God allows suffering, she will say this. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now, I'm going to entrust that to us this morning, but to think about that and to meditate and to pray over it because I don't want that to come across flippant or trite in any way. And only uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, as one who is a quadriplegic, who has gone through much suffering, might have a right to be able to say that, but I want you to think about it. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And what he loves is for people to enter into a relationship with him and become more like him. Now this is Palm Sunday and as we think about the dilemma of Jesus during Easter week our scripture this verse rings true. You see the Son of Man finds himself in spite of his best efforts on the road of suffering. The road to the cross. Unjust undeserved suffering that came from sinful men and women who were going to put him on a cross. A criminal's cross. And then dying, finally, on a garbage heap. So one could ask the question about his situation. How will all things possibly work for the good for those that love the Lord. Don't you suppose that Jesus knew Romans 8.28 far before Paul penned it? You see, God took his pain, Jesus' pain and suffering, and he highlighted his scars for the redemption of the world. God took the crime and made it into a victory. God made all things work together for good for Jesus, who loved him, and then for us as his brothers and sisters. Let me give you a final illustration and then a challenge. Are you familiar with... Uh, Kintsuji. It is the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces 
back together. And it's particularly used for uh, people, by people, who have gone through an amazing amount of suffering or grief. Now, it's not Christian per se, but I see some, I see some par parallels for us. In doing this process, the, they, the person who is doing kintsuchi does it with, with gold. And here is the idea. By taking the broken pieces and embracing the flaws and the imperfections, they create an even stronger and more beautiful piece of art where every break is unique and instead of an item becoming new or finding a new item the ancient technique highlights the scars the scratches the brokenness as part of the new design I believe this is exactly what we believe as followers of Jesus that God is doing with us and for us. He is creating within us something more authentic and more beautiful and more resilient. Your better self that is like God, conformed to his image, is on the other side of your hardship. Do you believe that? It was true for Jesus, and his scars became like Kinzuchi. I don't believe God's going to leave anything on the cutting floor of the production room as it relates to your life script. All of your experiences are going to be gathered together and redeemed for good. And you may, even this morning, feel helpless. But you're not a victim. And while that may be hard to accept, particularly when you're going through it, I want you to pray and I want you to ask for the Holy Spirit to pray for you as this passage in Romans 8 that Jeremy wonderfully talked about last week to help us and intercede for us so that we might believe and we might also know to trust it as true. So let me put it this way and then give you the challenge. If you can trust that God will use all your suffering, all of it, for good, you will unleash one of the most powerful transformational truths in the universe. It will change your attitude, the trajectory of your life, your appreciation for Jesus and what he has done, your understanding of the greatness and the goodness of God, your love for other people, we don't know all of the pain that they're going through, and yet to know that God can redeem it. And no pit, self-dug or otherwise, whether you've been bulldozed into it, will dare hold you 
So to finish this morning, I want you to think about one devastating blow, one bruising strike, one large pit that you find yourself in, and look to God. And with the intercession of the Holy Spirit groaning for you, say, Father, I trust you to use fill in the blank for good. He promises it will be so. God bless you.